Good morning. Morning, St. George's. It's a real uh, privilege and pleasure to be here with you today. My name's John. Um, I'm one of the vicars here, and I head up Lighthouse, a Christian community for those battered and bruised by the storms of life. And can I just thank you again for all your prayers and support as we've journeyed with this community through the pandemic. In a recent television broadcast, David Attenborough spoke these words. Right now, we are facing a man-made disaster of global scale. Our greatest threat in thousands of years, climate change. If we don't take action, the collapse of our civilization and the extinction of much of the natural world is on the horizon. Brothers and sisters, the sobering truth is our lives are taking place in the context of climate breakdown. This is the story we find ourselves in. According to the latest peer-reviewed scientific reports, the coming decades will be extremely difficult as we move into a world 1.5 or more degrees above pre-industrial temperatures. But as we know, we don't need the scientific reports. We can just turn on our news channels. A world which will see an increase in malnutrition, migration, and conflict. A world in which there will be an increased risk of societal collapse. This is the story we find ourselves in. At times, the reality of climate breakdown presses into the present, flooding us with feelings of anxiety and grief. Quick show of hands if you've ever felt that grief. We can feel overwhelmed in the face of systems and structures of domination that seem hell-bent on pushing us to the point of no return. Many of us, myself included, we can feel missional paralysis like rabbits caught between the headlights. We don't know what to do, so we perhaps don't do anything. Or to change the metaphor, we may choose to act like ostriches that bury our heads in the sand, even though the tide is coming in. Yet, brothers and sisters, although climate breakdown is one of the stories we find ourselves in, we also find ourselves caught up in a bigger story. A narrative that we have found to be beautiful, captivating, and compelling. A narrative that has quite rightly changed our lives and claimed us. A story in which a trinity of love, as an act of love, makes other than himself. A story in which humanity, plagued by sin and evil, comes face to face with the love and the mercy of God. A story in which God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. A story in which God became enfleshed and enacted the kingdom which stands in opposition to all systems of oppression and domination. A story in which we find a leader like no other. A story in which Jesus, the servant king, rules and reigns with self-giving, sacrificial love. 
a story in which the crucified one was raised to life, demonstrating that a new world, a new humanity is possible. A story in which God is in the business of the reconciliation of all things. A story in which love wins and justice will flow like a never failing stream. Brothers and sisters, this is our story. This is our song. Now these two stories, climate breakdown and the hope of cosmic shalom are both true as we live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom. With these thoughts in mind, we're going to continue in our series on the prophetic words of Isaiah 40 to 55. Although written thousands of years ago, these texts as part of the story of scripture still speak They provide clues and prompts to help us improvise authentically for our own generation. Within the difficult story of climate breakdown, these texts may also help us perform and participate, improvise and imagine a new way of responding and taking responsibility. That's probably officially the, the world's longest intro, isn't it? We're going to get into the text in a moment. So the first thing that we should note is that the prophet spoke these words to a people in exile. People were far from home, living amid the empire in a culture of domination in the bondage of Babylon. This is the story they found themselves in. In exile, they had moved from a place of orientation, comfort, all is well with the world. And they'd moved from that place to disorientation, a place lacking meaning, coherence and purpose. Psalm 137 recalls the thoughts and feelings of the exiled people. As Borny M sang, by the rivers of Babylon, there we wept. For we remembered Zion. In the face of cultural domination, God's people felt powerless, caught between the headlights of empire. And they ran the risk of cultural assimilation to the prevailing culture, ideology, and narrative of Babylon. And facing theological paralysis, they perhaps asked, has God abandoned us? God's covenant people had forgotten the larger story they were living in. God's covenant people had forgotten their vocation, their identity, their calling as God's people to be a light to the nations. How can we be light when we dwell in darkness? Into this context, the prophet speaks. Into this context, Yahweh speaks, and in chapters 40 to 55, salvation is declared. Words of comfort are spoken. The prophet brings hope. God will arise and deliver his people from the domain of domination and will lead them on a victory march 
all the way back to the promised land. The exile is declared to be over. Now is the time of the new exodus. God's people, with the presence of God as their protector and guide, will be delivered from tyranny and domination. And as they march, the prophet declares, creation will flourish. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be brought low and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and the redeemed of the Lord will return with singing unto Zion. You see, this message of salvation was intended to stir imaginations. No longer would they need to see the narrative of Babylon as normative. They were to live by a different story. They were to march to a different drum. And in the context of these prophetic utterances, we find a number of passages called the servant songs. And these poems speak of a servant figure who is obedient to Yahweh's calling. And there's a mysterious aspect to these songs, which has led to much discussion. Who is this servant? At times it seems to refer to Israel, at other times to a fearful remnant, or perhaps an individual. And I join others in thinking it is best to see these texts as pointing to an idealized view of God's people which finds its true fulfillment in the person of Jesus. Yet, it's an identity that the church owns, that we can take on as we conform to and are shaped into the likeness of Jesus. So let's spend a few moments meditating upon Isaiah 42, which was read to us earlier. The first thing that we note about this passage is the servant vocation of the saved. Behold, my servant. God has not just rescued his people from Babylon, but has a job for them to do, a vocation which they are to step into. You see, God calls his people to action, to a task, to a mission. The Christian life isn't just a recognition that we are saved, but is also the taking up of a vocation. Know this, whatever you feel like this morning, whatever you've done, however discouraged you are from past disappointments, however overwhelmed you feel by the stories you find yourselves a part of. God has a calling on your life. God has a calling on our lives. We're not just to pass our days on earth just waiting patiently, although that's important, but rather acting faithfully. We are not just to spend our days worshiping God in song, but we are to let our whole lives be a song of worship, a fragrant offering that is poured out for the king. We don't just wait on the spirit to be filled with the spirit, but rather we look to be empowered with the presence of Christ, to be faithful witnesses who offer hope in a world of increasing despair. 
And this passage uses a particular word to describe the vocation that is upon us. We are to be servants. What do servants do? They serve. This isn't the leadership style of dog-eat-dog survival of the fittest. This isn't the leadership style that puts profit before people or a conservatism that privileges the status quo above justice. No. The vocation of God's people is to serve. This is the power of self-giving, sacrificial love, which looks to the interests of others, the mutual flourishing of all. The world may bang out the beats of domination and oppression, embedded within the worldviews of unrestrained capitalism, consumerism, and individualism. But we, brothers and sisters, are to march to the beat of a different drum, for we are called to serve, to love, and to tend, and to keep. We are to be those who follow the servant king, those who would rather wash the feet of the world's most vulnerable than partake in the systems of oppression that trample upon them. First thing, servant vocation. Second thing to note is that the servant is indwelt by the Spirit. As we had read, Behold my servant in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit in him. One is reminded here of the baptism of Jesus. A voice from heaven speaks, quoting from Isaiah's servant song, and says, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus as a dove. And Jesus has his identity affirmed and is empowered by the Spirit to do all that the Father has called him to. One is reminded of the words of Jesus to his disciples at the end of John's Gospel. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then Jesus breathes upon his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. At this moment, there is both a calling and an equipping. An empowering presence is at work in the disciples which will allow them to fulfill their vocation to look and love like Jesus. By the Spirit, the anxious disciples hiding behind locked doors are transformed into a vanguard of the kingdom of peace. By the Spirit, the disciples in despair are transformed into a confident community of light that shines brightly in a dark world. By the Spirit, the fearful disciples are transformed to be agents of reconciliation in a world of exclusion. In our own context, the story we find ourselves in, we are not called to be servants who serve in their own strength. No, we are to be servants filled with the Holy Spirit who live work, love, and do life with both gospel confidence and gospel hope. This is a story our changing world desperately needs to witness. 
A story in which millions of Christians, empowered by the Spirit, act as servants in a world of crisis. In this late hour, brothers and sisters, this is a story our city needs to witness. Thousands of Christians empowered by the Spirit, serving their King for the well-being of the city. Called to be servants. We're to be Spirit-empowered. And as we continue meditating on Isaiah 42, we read these words. A brood reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not put out. The sense here is that the servant has a particular vocation to be gentle and kind with the vulnerable. God has called his people and empowered them to do their lives in such a way that they don't trample on the wounded. You think of a a bruised reed. You think of a a stem of a plant and it's, it's broken and to fix it, you've got to be gentle with it. You think of a smoldering wick. To get a smoldering wick to turn into a flame, you need to be gentle. So with the servant. Spirit-empowered servants. Don't put on the ring of power to use it with dehumanizing dominance. Nor the servant people of God, a gentle, kind, and come alongside the wounded, We are to be those who listen and show love to the marginalized. We are to be those who sit with the bereaved, stand with the abandoned, journey with the mentally ill, offer unconditional love and non-judgmental care to those who have been wounded and betrayed by others. Christians shouldn't shoot their wounded, but rather should reach out with tender compassion. For those of us who are leaders in the workplace, we are called to be gentle and kind. For those of us who lead in our families, we are called to be gentle and kind. In the story of climate breakdown, the world will face mass disorientation. Violence, conflict, and social unrest will increase. And the church has a task, like the Good Samaritan, to draw close, be gentle and kind, and bind up the wounds of those who are brokenhearted, those who have been caught up in the wheels of climate injustice. Called to be servants. Spirit-empowered servants, those who are kind and gentle, but the servant is also called to justice. The fourth and final characteristic which we find in this passage is the deep connection between this servant and justice. Notice verse 1, he will bring forth justice to the nations. And verse 3, he will fearfully bring forth justice. The task of the servant, the calling on God's people, is that they are justice people. Justice is, as Cornel West says, is what love looks like 
in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. In the Bible, justice has to do with the setting of the world to rights. It is the opposite of injustice. Justice stands against oppression, domination, and economic exploitation. And justice stands with the poor and the powerless. It speaks out for those without a voice. You see, justice is the dream of the prophets. As the prophet Isaiah, uh, prophet Amos imagines the day when justice will roll on like a river. And justice is also at the heart of God, as Isaiah says, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. And to know God is to do justice. In Jesus, the word made flesh, we see justice embodied and entwined with extravagant mercy. He welcomes the weak, gathers the oppressed, and he lays down the prophetic challenge to the unjust structures and organizations of his day. In our own time of climate breakdown, standing at the hinge of history. We are called as God's servants to be the justice-shaped people of God. As Martin Luther King put it, a church that has lost its voice for justice is a church that has lost its relevance in the world. Or more positively, we may say justice is in our missional DNA. So let's bring it all together. We live in two stories. One is that we live in a world of climate breakdown. And the second story is that God has not abandoned this world. But in and through Jesus is working for the reconciliation of all things. We then focused in on Isaiah and highlighted the characteristics of God's people each of which provides pointers to how we should live in the present. In the context of climate breakdown, the church has been called to be the spirit-empowered servant who is both gentle and kind to the vulnerable and stands for justice. In other words, we are to live missionally in a warming world. We should be tender and compassionate to those who suffer because of climate breakdown. Refugees, those in economic hardship, the hungry, those overwhelmed with climate grief, we should be gentle and kind. But the church should also be involved in justice-shaped work that seeks to avert the worst of what may be. Or as the pastor theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, we are not to simply bandage the wounds of victims caught beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.